With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Reporting as eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. They're a small local roaster in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I make a pot of their Packerland breakfast blend just about every morning. I also have a very large bag of the barrel-aged coffee that I enjoy on the weekends. If you go to AppletonCoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% and you will support the show. Once again, that's AppletonCoffee.com, code RAE at checkout. Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of Reporting as Eligible. Uh, we decided to record a special Sunday night episode because the Packers just did something no- none of us thought they would do. They they gave Aaron Jones a, um, well, let's just call it what, what it was first reported as, a four-year, $48 million contract. That's a lie, so um, we'll get into why it's a lie. Like all contracts, it's probably closer to a two-year contract, and there's incentives and guaranteed money matters and all that jazz, but it's a weird deal. It's a weird deal because... Um, we all this podcast. The motto of this podcast is "Running backs don't matter," and uh, he he obviously is one. They just picked his replacement, who cost nothing. They're in, they're not in great salary cap shape. It's a weird decision. So, um, joining me to discuss the weird decision, uh, we have our back for the first time in a while. Our good friend uh, Archon Fourteen, otherwise known as Ryan, for our podcast purpose. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Wish it could have been on a more joyous occasion yeah, but that's all right amen to that and, and i think to make us feel a little bit better about this um we have somebody who was just on the show uh tex welcome back um managing editor of acme packing company at tex western yeah thanks I'll, I'll try to see if i can find a, some silver linings here and, and try to <laughs> um yeah f- find some reasons for a little bit of optimism so tex you, you are sort of the the site's salary cap guru do you, want, do you want to start by just walking us through what the most likely scenario is here um, on what we're actually paying Aaron? Yeah, so the, the first thing, as you kind of alluded to, is beware of the early numbers, um, and especially because even in his, his first tweet reporting the numbers, uh, Adam Schefter noted that they were coming from Drew Rosenhaus, who is Aaron Jones's <laughs> agent. So the, the agents always report the maximum possible value of these contracts. Um, we've seen some reports now uh, over the course of the afternoon saying that it could be more like nine and a half million dollars per year um, before incentives instead of twelve million dollars a year, which I mean that's a that's a significant chunk. Um, but certainly, you know, the way the Packers have been structuring things, this is likely to have a cap hit of somewhere, you know, five to six million, maybe in 2019. Um, and, and to your point, they generally Do have been doing these 2021. I'm sorry, 2021. <laughs> I don't even know. Time has no meaning anymore. Good Lord. Yes. Um, Eat at Arby's. 
yeah but uh yeah so so probably somewhere in the five five and a half mil range in 21 and then um starting to increase from there with with probably pretty big hits in 23 and 24 um and and making it that kind of two years and then you know we'll make a decision after that kind of deal the same way they did with all their free agents two years ago um three of the four of whom have have had some money rearranged and the fourth who probably will in the next 24 indeed hours. Yeah, the, the hot rumor is that Zedarius is basically incoming at this point, right? On restructure. Yeah, okay. that's what uh, that's what Tom Silverstein was reporting this afternoon was that he, his extension is coming, which is going to be what makes the the cap space open up for for Jones okay. uh, to get added on by Wednesday. So you know, it seemed like they were about even with the cap after making all the other moves and kind of contract restructures and shifting things to bonuses and whatnot, um, as of Saturday evening. So obviously the, the Jones deal adds on however much space that's going to add on. Um, so the Packers will need to clear, like I said, you know, it's probably somewhere in the, the $6 million range for the Jones contract. And then, you know, a handful of additional millions to uh, get <laughs> draft picks and restricted free agents. And, Exclusive rights free agents, which is part of why I think we all were expecting that this was not going to happen. Right. Uh, I feel like, I, I think on the last podcast, we made fun of the Saints for franchising somebody and then cutting most of their roster shortly thereafter. And I feel like I can't do that now. Um, it, <laughs> it It's kind of annoying. It's it's such a weird decision when you're trying to straighten the cap out. So I, I know my favorite recent Ryan piece on the site is actually that there is no good, there's no good contract for Aaron Jones, no matter what. Um, uh, I assume you still agree with that. And I assume you kind of agree with me on this, that this is, no matter what it is, not smart. Is, is that pretty accurate? So, yeah, I wrote back in September that there wasn't really a good contract that made sense for both Aaron Jones and the Packers. Either Aaron Jones would be leaving too much guaranteed money on the table from kind of one of the perennial dumb teams, you know, like the, what the Jets did with Le'Veon Bell's contract. Uh, there was kind of the expectation that Jones would end up in a place like Miami or Jacksonville that had quite a bit of cap space to burn and that he would kind of be able to maximize his, his financial um, well-being from that perspective. And it kind of, at least for me, became rather obvious that that would be the outcome once he hired <laughs> Drew Rosenhaus as the agent, you know, because Rosenhaus is well known to, you know, optimize what, what he can get for his clients and really focus on the financial thing like most good agents do. So I was actually really surprised when the deal came across. Um, like Tex said about, you know, the way that the cap hits are probably going to be laid out. This is really a two-year contract. I don't think there's, you know, unless it's structured in a really weird, well, much flatter way in terms of cap hits that I don't think there's any way Aaron Jones sees years three and four of this deal. Now, what that means is that Green Bay is going to, you know, take a, a little bit of a bath on the contract in 2023. And, you know, hopefully by that point, the new TV deals will have hit and really kind of buoyed the cap um, up a little bit higher. But that's still dead money that Green Bay is going to have to take in that year that they're not going to be able to use on, you know, whatever position of need that that is. Even if the dead cap isn't, you know, something crazy high, it's like, okay, if it's $6 million, well, that's, you know, $6 million that you couldn't have right. spent somewhere else. You know, every dollar matters matters a lot. You don't want to be filling your books up with a bunch of money that you're not using. Um, when you do that, you end up like the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, with a bunch of dead money from contracts for guys who haven't played for you for years. Good comp. Um, the, the other thing when this happens specifically is uh, the first thing that jumps to my mind is, uh, well, could you have gotten Corey Lindsley for a little bit more? Maybe, maybe not. I think maybe he gets 
Uh, maybe uh, like maybe like five or six million more, which is not jump change quite a bit, but maybe not. And um, like if Corey Lindsley signs for something that's in the ballpark of what they gave Jones, especially just for the next two years, well, that's stupid. That's dumb. And you went after the wrong person. He's more important to the running game than Jones is. So uh, I, 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 I hate giving anything to running backs. Uh, it, this is all compounded by A.J. Dillon, who um, is – they used a lot of capital on him, the other kind of capital – and uh, he has he's not the same as Aaron Jones, but they kind of play the same role. They are the between-the-tackles guys. They're the not third-down backs. Um, they're, you know, the, they're not, Jamal Williams is the third-down guy, the outlet guy, the good pass blocker. Um, now they don't have one of those, and they have two guys who do kind of the same thing, and they both cost a lot in their own way. It, it's very strange. I've seen too much on the Internet today about how this will, like, impact Jamal's or A.J. Dylan's workload, which I think is not at all. He'll still have tons of work because they'll still like split carry. They always split carries. They're not a one back team and haven't been forever. But um, it, it, it's you had a cheap replacement, and I, the things I hate most are going uh, paying money when you already have the incumbent in house for no money. Like uh, you've worst of both worlds now. I don't. Does this have any impact on Dylan? Does this just make the last draft look terrible, or is there any impact on Dylan's role at all here? Yeah, I mean, I've been seeing a lot of talk today about um, how the, the Packers have, have largely used Jamal Williams to help keep Aaron Jones fresh and speculation that they're going to be using A.J. Dillon in that role. But that does that does kind of ignore the third down back aspect, the situational aspect that, that you bring up, um, because, um, you know, you can you can have I think the, the biggest benefit to having Jones and Dylan is putting them both on the field at the same time, which isn't the same thing as, um, you know, using one as a, a backup or a change of pace sure or, or something like that. Um, so, so I think that's, I, I, I wonder a little bit about the, the logic there of, of just saying, okay, well, well now AJ Dylan's going to come in and, and take those carries to take a little bit of workload off of, off of Aaron Jones. So we'll see there, but yeah, it definitely does um, put into question just the general use of resources over the last 12 months at the position, um, you know, with, with this much money and, and that much of a draft capital uh, going into the running back room. Yeah. And a lot of other things to take care of on offense still that this doesn't help with. It's still a light running or a light wide receiver core that's going to get lighter um, after a year and, now you have less money to deal with that and more running backs, Ray. Um, <laughs> it's just very disappointing. So uh, this also leads to a question about Jamal Williams, who I think was kind of the nerd's choice of the two. Uh, he's ex expected to be much cheaper. He does a lot of the passing game stuff that they no longer have. Jones is okay. He's a decent pass blocker. But Williams had definitely had his space here. First of all, it, do you think he'll come back? Because they still could get him back cheap. And second of all, if they bring him back and pay another running back free agent money, will he be mad or happy about it? Ryan, you can go first. It depends on how much the money is. Um, I don't think that Jamal Williams will be back because it's hard to, to see a situation in which paying, like Green Bay would be the team that would give Jamal Williams the highest amount of money because there's probably someone out there who's willing to make them like, you know, a 1B in the rotation, kind of like what he was for, for Green Bay for, yeah. for most of his most of his career and green Bay, just with how with the capital they put in AJ Dillon, um, it just doesn't seem like there's really a way for 
Jamal to come back, especially since the, the specific running styles of Jamal and AJ overlap pretty heavily. Whereas, you know, with AJ and Aaron, there's a, there's a difference in terms of the style that they run with. Whereas with AJ and Jamal, there's, you know, AJ essentially is Jamal Williams, just more physically gifted in terms of the style of running. And so I'd be pretty shocked. I mean, if they brought him back, I guess that's fine, depending on, on the number. I don't think Jamal Williams is going to get a lot of money in free agency deals. Those kind of, you know, the, the, the scat back type, which is really kind of the role that he fills as the kind of the pass blocker and the, the solid receiver and kind of a, a mediocre runner is typically something that's often reserved for kind of shiftier guys. And he's kind of an oddball in that he's built like a traditional workhorse back, but his skills are very um, kind of ancillary. I've, you know, kind of had the joke that he's essentially a glorified fullback. Yeah. Um, that's kind of true. Because, you know, especially before this year, he was not a particularly effective runner, um, but had kind of all of the, the soft skills of good hands, um, you know, very str- generally strong in pass protection. And so I think another team is going to see that and, and want to capitalize that and bring that into the running back room. Um, I'm going to guess that Green Bay is probably going to have A.J. Dillon spend a lot of time um, working on blitz protection pickups um, in, in training camp because Aaron Jones is not a guy that you necessarily want to try and eat blitzing linebackers, um, whereas A.J. Dillon, um, he at least has the physical capability uh, to, to, to handle guys who are, you know, 230 to 245 pounds coming at him where, you know, Jones is only, you know, 205 himself. Well, and in that instance, right, he's he's not giving up any weight. He's not giving up any weight to, to a blitzing linebacker. Um, and, and yeah, you could imagine him anchoring down really well with uh, with the those quads and, and being able to, to anchor and pass pro a little bit. But sure. um, I think one of the interesting things, though, that, you know, one of the reasons I suspect that the Packers did this is – you know, regardless of, of the, the question of do running backs deserve to get or, or is, are they replaceable, I guess, is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Aaron Jones has been a very effective running back uh, as, as a runner um, for basically his entire career. He's never had a DVOA below like 12 percent um, in the last three years. He hasn't finished lower than seventh among all running backs in DVOA. Mm-hmm. He's been a top 10 back in terms of DYAR, which is the, the total essentially counting stat production um in each of the last three years so from that perspective i guess one one of the questions maybe that they ask themselves is do we think that aj Dillon is going to be able to you know is is he really going to be able to to duplicate that production in the packers offense now i think we all kind of agree that he could do well enough to um <laughs> to invest that money in another position but, um, you know, the fact is that Jones has been an excellent back for the last three years, um, particularly the last two in the Lafleur offense. Um, and I, I just I suspect that maybe that was part of the thought process is that, you know, they just they don't see Dylan being able to, to necessarily duplicate that level of production in, in year two, even though, granted, Dylan had a, a really good DVOA this last year which though that was that was significantly buoyed by his huge game against tennessee also true so um (laughs) yeah there's you can you can you can make a case both ways with the analytics for this that you know jones is a great back pay the guy because he's got a huge influence on the um you know on the offense on the other side of things you know the the value of a running back again as as we've discussed so many times just isn't 
you know, doesn't match up with the value of players at other positions. Right. I, I do also wonder about the the relative value in the Shanahan Lafleur offense versus others, and if if they do look at that a little bit differently because they are a a heavy team, like a heavy strategy team. And they do the 49ers especially run probably a little bit more than they should, though they're very effective at it. But they do tend to, to be a couple of the teams that seem to really value them more that also seem to be kind of smart teams, generally speaking. Um, so I, I don't know. I often wonder if they know something we don't. The 49ers just gave Kyle Juszczyk, as of this moment, a five-year, $27 million deal, which seems like a lot of money to give a fullback. <laughs> so um, they do things differently, and that's not to say it's wrong and yet. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron's really good uh, by DVOA, by everything else. But um, it, it still seems like if you got a top 15 DVOA performance out of A.J. Dillon, that'd be fine. And the, the money difference between the two of them, if you can upgrade offensive line or upgrade slot receiver or something with that money, probably makes a bigger difference in the offense than having the same running back back. So it's a, it, it's, it's a weird choice. Uh, it, it's just bizarre. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to be mad about this for like a week, even though I like I do like Aaron Jones. I like watching him play. He's fun to watch play. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, and one thing that does bother me a little bit about this too, it, I do wonder if they'll go get a scat back or draft one of the guys at the, the back end of the draft. There's a couple of Tyler Irvine type guys that I could see him going after. But Jones was not as effective a receiver last year either. Uh, Williams was by far their most effective receiving back. And I know Dylan's not good at it. But it's a role now that's kind of a hole without Williams that probably needs filling because this is an offense that does like to throw to the running back. It, part of the idea of the offense is you, you go with 12, you go heavy. Uh, if they come out um, it, with heavy personnel to defend you, then you split guys out wide. Jones was very good at that two years ago. He became far less good at it last year for a variety of reasons. Um, do you think that they can fill that internally just with tight end use or creative receiver use or... Is this something that they actually do have to look at addressing for the offense to actually function? The the Jones like receiving game regression, I think, has a lot to do with usage this this last year. The kind of like the gimmick really, because it really was a gimmick of in twenty nineteen when they had basically Bonte Adams and nothing else on offense at all, was to try and match Jones on linebackers out in space. And that worked for the first half of the year. And after, um, you know, team started adjusting for that after about, you know, four weeks kind of in that October period of 2019, they just stopped having linebackers trail Jones out and just would switch into his zone coverage and have a corner follow him out. The kind of way that LaFleur was using Aaron Jones just had to fundamentally change. And he became used more like a traditional running back would be except he also wasn't getting, you know, a ton of third down, um, you know, catches because that's typically what Jamal Williams is out there to be a blocker and kind of a safety valve um, there. So as far as, you know, I don't think the receiving back thing is a huge concern, um, partially because I think that running back receiving is pretty volatile year over year and not super predictive. Um, like if you looked, you know, if uh, this past year, Jonathan Taylor had a, phenomenal year as a receiving back despite the fact that at Wisconsin he was awful and couldn't catch anything so it's entirely possible we see some you know AJ Dillon can kind of do a similar thing where it's you can when he was at Boston College they never threw to the running back because they hardly ever threw the ball period it was set up very similar to Wisconsin where it was very 
north-south run heavy. And so it's just not a skill he really had to utilize. Then in the NFL level, you know, that's something he can perhaps develop. But with, with Jones, I'm not super concerned about the passing game thing. Also, I'm not super concerned about it generally because you shouldn't be giving a ton of targets to your running back. True. It's not a super efficient way to move the ball down the field. It's nice to have, you know, you know, a better check down to your running back than to throw the ball away or, or to take a sack. But um, you don't want to have a ton of kind of filtered uh, targets to them, you know, unless you're, you know, being able to take advantage of those speed mismatches with, you know, Jones on a linebacker running a Texas route or getting him out in space and, you know, even just a, a, a kind of a, a quick out to him um, where he can get the ball in space on a linebacker. But, you know, you don't want to turn your offense into like the Panthers offense and target Aaron Jones, you know, 125 times because that's just not going to lead to very efficient That's offense. very true. I do also wonder if the – if the uh, having Deguera back probably plays some factor in that too, yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was something I was thinking is is if he if he really plays that that use check role as as more of an H back and fullback, I think that um, that can probably take some of those those receiving targets away. And I think one other thing that's worth mentioning with with Jones from 2019 to 2020 is the the fact that Aaron Rodgers was much more apt to check down in 2020 than he was the year before um, after having that, you know, that's in, in the second year in the LeFleur offense. And I think, I mean, Jones had about the same number of targets year, year to year yeah. uh, over the last two years, but um, you know, we'd have to chart him, but, but I would be willing to bet that he had a lot more targets down the field uh, in 2019 than he did in 2020, just because a lot of those targets were Rogers checking down to him because his, his other options weren't there. And he was much more willing to take those check downs and just, uh, you know, take a few yards and, and maybe, you know, put the, the team in a better down a distance situation. Yeah. So if I am, I've decided a very Ted Thompson person. I, I don't think I would, if I was a GM ever sign anybody in free agency because I would do calculus on it and it would always show to be a bad idea. And that's clearly wrong. Like, um, good against has clearly done a, a good job for the most part. Um, and it's hard to say anything against that. Zadarius was, has been an outstanding signing. Preston Smith, you can't say anything bad about him two years ago. Um, that seems fine. Uh, Wagner and Turner uh, played quite well. Um, so when you see a move like this, does it give you less faith in what the front office is doing? Or does it give you more faith that maybe they know what they're doing and maybe we need to rethink things a little bit? Tex, you can go first on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was trying to point I, to Ryan, I, but we'll... That's, that's a... <laughs> yeah, put me on the spot. That's fine. <laughs> no, I, I think um, I'm, I'm, where I'm feeling right now is I'm hopeful that they are seeing something and maybe in the, the way that they're constructing this team that I'm not. And they're seeing something maybe in their analytics, which we know that they, they do use pretty heavily um, under LaFleur. Uh, they just hired a guy to be their in-game analytics coach, basically, um, or, or at least gave him that title. So they, they do, you know, embrace that side of things. So maybe there is something that they're seeing that, um, you know, leads them to, to, to disagree with the, the, the usage of resources on the running back position. And maybe some of that has to do with LaFleur's offensive scheme as well. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that, that he really embraces of using the run to set up the pass, especially the play action pass, even though the numbers suggest <laughs> that play action passing game isn't dependent on the success of your running game. But um, 
yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe there's something that we, that we miss that they, they have accounted for and they have captured that they're seeing that's leading them down this road. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, go ahead and answer. Then I want to come back to the play action part real quick too, because I, I was, I've been reading up on that lately. So. Yeah. So the, the one thing on there where I could see where Jones might pro- provide some, some added value over just say kind of a generic day three replacement running back is, during the season, the Packers played a or their Packers offense faced a disproportionate amount of single high looks um, in their offense, where teams are dropping a safety down into the box. Um, you can see it even in the in the playoff game against the Rams, where it actually was a, a cover four shell. Yeah. But cover four responsibilities mean safeties have to have to fill run support. So I think there might be a piece there where there actually is some efficiency to potentially be gained. Um, on your side, simply because the the other side is acting a little bit irrationally. So if they're treating the Aaron Jones running game threat as as a higher level of threat than it actually is, and it alters the way that they construct their defensive game plan, maybe they're dropping guys into the box, then there could be a a real advantage of having a running back who essentially can will alter a defensive coordinator's game plan, even if in in a perfectly efficient world, maybe he wouldn't. And you can take advantage of that space with some, you know, less heralded players like a Robert Tanyan, who, you know, until this year was effectively a, a, a French practice squad player or an Alan Lazard, who, who is a good, you know, chain mover, but, you know, isn't, you know, the most talented or gifted receiver out there. Even a guy like, you know, basically every time MVS is able to get singled up, it's effectively an open throw because he's going to beat most corners down the field. And so in, in an offense where, you know, Green Bay doesn't have a lot of outside options, you know, perhaps creating those matchup advantages with the running back. And because the running back was in-house and able to be retained, that might be a rationale for it. Whereas, you know, maybe they were looking at the free agent options and didn't think that they could get the level of upgrade at receiver that they needed. Cause frankly, the free agent wide receiver class has gotten pretty shallow, um, pretty fast with a lot of the, you know, the big guys getting tagged that maybe this was a route that, that they wanted to go. I still don't feel good about the deal. You know, this is not the route that I, I would have gone with it, but um, you know, I, especially, you know, cause the cap hits are probably going to be relatively small um, for this year. And for this next season, Green Bay can basically create as much cap space as they need um, with Rogers. If they want to restructure Rogers and if they extend Zedarius and if they extend Devonte Adams, they can, they can get, enough space to make additions on places like boundary corner or, you know, the a veteran guy on the, on the defensive line, if they want to go that route. Um, I don't think they'll really have a lot of interest in receivers unless it's maybe, maybe an Emmanuel Sanders, because that need is really more of a, a 2022 plus need. Right. Cause like we right. talked about, there's just that room gets really, really empty, really, really fast after this next season. Um, so there's like, a, you can find a rationale and I'm sure that if you actually, you know, got to talk to, to LaFleur and, and Gutekunst in a, in a candid way that this is kind of how they would walk, kind of walk through it as the case for it. Now it's, it's hard to know how much influence that has because you can't split out all the confounding variables there, but I'm going to guess that schematically that's, that's how they would, they would argue the case for why this contract is worth it at this time. Yeah. I think there is something to the, the formations that, that a good running back can drive. And 
I think at the end of the season, I think it was uh, a, a Twitter argument between um, Hermsmeyer and Stats by Lopez um, with some Josh Norris in it about the uh, the really the best running backs, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, um, actually do seem to have a material effect on the defensive formation. So it, we often look at this through the lens of play action, and analytics guys will go to the well of you don't have to establish the run to run play action, and play action super efficient, and you could just run it without actually doing that. But you don't actually see too much analysis of um, what the good running back on the field actually impacts personnel-wise and formation-wise. That's harder to do. That's that's a, a more difficult charting project. And um, Aaron Jones probably is good enough to drive some of that. And you can actually see some of that, I think, in the difference in numbers between um, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones behind the scenes. Um, Jamal Williams actually does quite well in um, yards over expected. Um, Jones does not actually do quite as well for whatever reason. But I think part of the reason that that's true is because Aaron Jones often has more expected yards because of just the defenses he faces versus Williams. So um, I don't know, something to dig into a little bit more, but I think it's more complicated than play action. Well, I think the play action thing is actually kind of an interesting one to, to bring up because actually as Packer fans, we saw the inverse of that. The reason that when you, you run the study in play action, doesn't there doesn't seem to be a threshold of play action mattering is because of the way that linebackers and safeties are keying on that action. However, we've seen with Green Bay where there was actually effectively no splits, um, I know for, for 2019 at least, because Mike Pettin was essentially telling his linebackers and safeties to just not really worry about filling um you know the, the run you know, yep. run fits appropriately and it was more so make sure you don't get passed behind and just react to the to the run game up front so these are choices that defense that defense can just make where if they just want to not be susceptible to play action they can make it so they're just not they're running their linebackers and safeties can just not do the typical run fit and that, of course that'll weaken them to the running game you know i mean we saw the packers get absolutely steamrolled by the 49ers because of, of poor run fits. Yep. And so that is kind of, you know, if you ask any offensive coordinator, you know, what's the optimal way for you to do it? They'd rather just run the ball down the field because it's, it's low risk and, and you can control the entire game that way. And so I think there might, I think the, you know, the idea that no matter what um, you don't have to run the ball to, to establish play action. If a defensive coordinator knows that's going to be your mindset, then they're just not going to react and you're not going to get any gained efficiency out of the play action, which ultimately is what you want. You want, you're looking for something that can take you from a, you know, a seven yards a target in like a standard offense to nine and a half. And actually half yards is super valuable, but if the defense stops acting or they just know that you're not going to run the ball or they're going to bet that you're not going to run the ball enough, they can take away that marginal efficiency in a pretty significant agree with that so last thing i want to mention and we can get out of here um the other thing to mention about aaron jones is a lot of times when we are discussing these contracts and making fun of them um the running back is often older um this is not the case with aaron jones he is still very much in his prime he is going to be entering his age 27 season to the extent running backs crash it's usually around 30 and if this is a two-year deal it probably captures the the last best years of his um nfl existence so um I think there are some positives on this. Uh, yes, it's expensive and it's a running back and you shouldn't ever pay for them, but they do at least know he's good. He's been good consistently. He's put up good DVOAs pretty much every year, good DYARs pretty much every year. Um, his efficiency is not in doubt, and he's still young. He knows the offense. 
you could do worse. <laughs> I don't know. Any any last any last Aaron Jones contract thoughts? I'll I'll be mad about it all week. Just I will think about it next time they miss out on signing someone. That's when it will get me. Text yeah. any any final yeah, closing think, thoughts? Yeah, I think there's two things that I want to touch on. One is is to your point, Ryan. I don't think this precludes them from signing a veteran corner, especially a cap casualty guy. Um, there have been reports today that receivers and corners in particular. Um, have been telling their agents that they want one-year deals because of the cap situation being what it is and that they want to be back in the free agent pool next year when the cap is expected to explode again. Yeah. Um, so I would not be in the, the least bit surprised if you know the Packers can can find a veteran corner on a one-year deal to be a stopgap and then you know plug in a, a corner for 2022 who they draft in the first or second round of this year you know as the starter in his in his second season. So um I think that's very much still on the table. As, as you mentioned, they've got some ways of freeing up cap space to do that. Uh, the other thing is I genuinely was going to be happy for Aaron Jones as a person, no matter where he, yep. he signed, because he is without question, a great guy, a great person, a great teammate. Um, and he was going to get paid by somebody this off season. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very happy that he, he got paid. Um, just just from from a personal standpoint um i like the guy and and i'm happy for him there so i i was very surprised by who paid him and, <laughs> and how it worked out um and again i i think my my general approach to this today ever since i saw that it was rosenhouse who leaked the initial 48 million dollar yeah. number is let's wait and see just how much of this is in incentives and see what the structure is and if it is kind of what we expect with with more of like a nine and a half million dollars per year base and you know cap hits low in the first two years and then you know having a potential out after 2022 i think that makes this a lot more palatable um just in general as a as a yeah. deal yeah and i think i think the the thing you know that is important is it does doesn't preclude them from doing you know pretty much anything that they realistically want to do i mean they're not going to be able to go into free agency and sign you know like uh, kenny galladay or, or someone like that but that was never really going to be the case but i mean there are a plethora of you know competent defensive backs that they can bring in if they want to go that route they're all also sitting in a spot in the draft where there's going to be a lot of corners projected to go in kind of that late first early second range um so there's they should still be able to to shore up you know what they they need to uh should they so choose should they not um aggressively surprise us again um on draft night but <laughs> you know and the thing with with aaron jones is like he's still going to be an enjoyable player to watch i mean he, his particular running style is, is pretty enjoyable you know watching jamal williams to me isn't a lot of fun agreed um he yeah. tries to run guys over doesn't typically <laughs> do it all that often um but, you know, I'm, the best thing we can really, really hope for is that, you know, at least over the course of the first two years, because I, you know, like we've talked about, I don't think there's really a realistic way he makes it to, to year three on that contract, that, that he performs to a, to a pretty high level. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate the way that running backs are handled in the NFL, where they're, they take a, a high level of physical beating, you know, probably more so than any, than any, you know, non-line position and are, rarely compensated very well for it yeah. um and so you know i get that's that's good for him i wish that the setup in in the sport was a little bit different um for them but but you know from a, a resource perspective i i don't really like you know the way that this 
this whole situation, you know, really the last two off seasons in their entirety have been handled. Um, at least, you know, so far, we'll see what happens, you know, in the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks for, for in free agency and then the draft. But, um, you know, I, I'm like, like Tech said, you know, I'm happy for Aaron Jones as a person. He seems like a great guy. The lo- everyone in the locker room seems to love him. He's a lot of fun to watch on Sundays. Um, you know, I just, I'll be a little, you know, I'll be a little raw when I see, you know, a, a quality player that could have helped Green Bay sign for a, a similar cap. It'll be a little bit raw, but by the time, you know, we reach the season, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, water under the bridge at that point and we'll, we'll move forward in, in successive off seasons about, you know, what to ultimately do with that contract when the time comes. Indeed. All right. And uh, to Jonathan Deal, who did have the one question for this week, which was, why do the Packers handle running backs like this and pay them and draft them high? Uh, the answer is the whole podcast. So um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're good there. All right. So, um, guys, thanks for joining me. Uh, any plugs on the site before I get out of here? Ryan, I got anything in the hopper? I was going to write a post where I was just going to be really mad about this. But the more I think about it, the actual, the actually the less mad about it I get, the more I just kind of mull it over. Um, and so, no, I'll be trying to, you know, free agency is coming up soon and the cap casualties are kind of continuing to cycle out. Yeah. Um, so as those guys come up and, you know, seem to be kind of schematic fits or looking for bounce back candidates, that's kind of the thing that I've been highlighting because I think that's where Green Bay is going to, in terms of free agency, that's where they're going to spend most of their their stuff. I wrote a post on it last week about how I, I think that that's kind of the market they're going to look at is that cheap veteran um, addition to kind of just patch some holes. Because um, Green Bay's under Gutekunst thing has been to kind of double dip at spots, you know, uh, at a veteran patchwork. Um, and then, you know, like Tech said, you know, they might do a, a patchwork uh, at cornerback. And then, um, you know, draft someone in the, in the top two rounds like Green Bay does basically every year. <laughs> it's an annual tradition. Uh, Tex- ah, shit. Here we go again. <laughs> yep, indeed. Tex, got anything lined up? Uh, not anything specific. Just um, pretty much got this week carved out for, you know, whatever whatever news that it takes to, to get the Packers <laughs> under the cap over the next couple of days. Um, you know, 4, 4 p.m. on Wednesday is the big the big time so that's the start of the new league year that's when they have to be under the cap that's when signings can officially start um but at the same time we've got the legal tampering period my favorite term in all of football that's so good uh starting at noon on no monday so, yeah yeah which uh yeah and how about uh, drew rosenhaus saying we knew we'd be getting higher yeah. uh higher offers if we made it to free agency but but aaron jones really wanted to stay in green bay so that was interesting <laughs> big quiet but, part uh, out loud there yeah but uh yeah with 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 the the legal tampering period starting monday um we'll start to at least hear some news uh just chatter around the league and um so yeah, keep it uh, keep it at Active yep. Packing Company keep, keep for tuned in. anything Packers related. Indeed, um, I I recently put up quarterback scarcity is over part two. Go check that out on the site. I'm working on part three right now, which is on analytics. So and, and and let me say that it makes part two made me feel more optimistic about Jordan Love and his long term development. So if if you're looking for Thanks. reasons to feel better about Jordan Love, definitely check that one out. Yep, indeed, it made it had the same effect on me. So yeah, go. <laughs> Do go check that out if you want some reasons to be optimistic about Jordan. And uh, we'll have uh, part three up pretty soon, too. So um, thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you again when something happens again, which apparently is going to be a lot right now. So <laughs> keep an eye out. And we'll have Matt back soon, too. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If I got a long way, I'm
If I got a long way 